is a place where people who have been in the prison system go the year before they're released and they, they start getting reacclimated to society. And so every Monday night I would go there and I would help lead a Bible study in the laundry room of this facility. And so men would be doing their laundry, it would be so loud and so hot, but they would do an all call over the whole facility inviting people to come to study the Bible together. And so every week I'd show up, they'd do the all call. Sometimes we'd have one person, sometimes we'd have ten people. I never knew who was going to show up, but there was one guy I could always count on, and his name was Bernie. And Bernie was there every time they made the announcement. And Bernie was one of those guys who just smiled all the time. He had such joy. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And he knew the Bible way better than I did. He was on fire for God. And I loved studying the Bible with him and hearing his insights. And one day in one of our conversations, Bernie, he said this to me. He said, Jonathan, it's so interesting to look at our lives because we're about the same age. We both grew up in church. And yet, you're sitting on that side of the table. And at the end of this Bible study, you get to go home. And here I am on this side of the table. And I'm going to spend the night here yet again. And then he asked me this question I'll never forget. He said, Jonathan, how did you stay a Christian all these years? Which is a very interesting question. Nobody had ever asked me that question. How did I stay a Christian throughout my teenage years, throughout uh, my early 20s, as people during that age category are oftentimes leaving the faith? How did I stay a Christian? And it was an interesting question because behind that question is this idea that being a Christian isn't just a one-time prayer you pray and then you just live however you want. He was implying, which I think is true, that being a Christian isn't just about a one-time thing. It's about a lifelong journey of growing and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so I sat back and I thought about the question. And I finally told him, I said, Bernie, I think the reason I've remained a Christian and I've continued to grow my faith is because throughout my life I've been connected with other Christians. I was baptized as an infant at Conyers First United Methodist Church. And in my baptism, the church made promises to help raise me in the faith. And they took those promises seriously, and they helped raise me. I went to youth group, and in youth group, I, I had small group leaders. I had, I had people who looked out for me, who helped answer my questions when I was a teenager and didn't know what to think or believe. When I went to college, I was part of a campus ministry where people surrounded me with love and encouraged me and helped me um, on this track of following my calling to be a pastor. And then even now, I've been part of small groups in recent years. I have an accountability group that I meet with with other pastors so that we can encourage each other and challenge each other. And the biggest way that God has helped grow my faith throughout my life has been in community with other people. And the interesting thing is that in this conversation with Bernie that I figured out is that he could say the same thing for many years in his life. For many years of his life, he was connected in church. He had a family who helped raise him in the faith. But over time, those things began to fade away. Over time, he began to worship less frequently. And he became disconnected from the church. Over time, 
he began to drift from those relationships with other Christians. And soon, Bernie found that really his relationship with God was, was just him and God, and there was nobody else around to encourage him. And then soon he found there really wasn't much of a relationship at all. And thanks be to God, when he was at Philip's Transitional Center and in the prison system, that, that other Christians came around him and encouraged him, and he, he reinvigorated his faith, and he decided to follow Jesus once again, and he was on fire once again. I'm so ecstatic for that. But Bernie's story of kind of drifting away is a story for a lot of people, and it's not because people just hate the church oftentimes or don't like other Christians. A lot of times it's because they have other priorities in life, and they don't realize how God wants to use other people to help grow them. I mean, Bernie's story, at some level, is a lot of our story because Bernie, he grew up as an American. And for us, for those of you who've grown up in this culture, you know that from a very young age, we're taught to be self-sufficient. Right? You've often heard the term, you know, we're supposed to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, right? We're supposed to become something from nothing on our own and we think we just have to power through and then if we show any sign of weakness um, that, that it's a liability and so often we try to do things in life on our own and so often in our relationship with God we try to do things on our own as well and that usually works for a little while until one day we realize that we can't do it on our own anymore. And to help illustrate this, I want Lucas to come forward. Where's Lucas at? All right. Y'all give Lucas a round of applause. He's going to be my model today. Captain America. Captain America. And so what happens is a lot of us are like Lucas. We're going about our lives. We're thinking we have things pretty under control. And then we realize that we have a lot of credit card debt. And we can't pay our bills on our own. And maybe our home is on the edge of foreclosure. And we find ourselves a little stuck. But, you know, you still have a little mobility. You can still try to do things on our own. And so what happens is we keep trying to push through. We think we got ourselves into this problem. We should get ourselves out of this problem. And we keep trying hard. But then something happens in our lives like we experience brokenness in a relationship, and we become a little more stuck. <laughs> and yet, you know what? He can still walk, he can still move a little bit, and so we, we just keep, keep trying harder and harder, and then we get sick, or we're in a car accident, or we have something bad happen to us, and we end up in the hospital. And we find ourselves even more stuck. You're going to find me, right? <laughs> and what's another situation that a lot of times we, something bad happens to us in life and we find ourselves stuck? What's something else? Relationships. A death in the family. All of these things happen to us. And a lot of times they're, they're not stuff that we've caused ourselves. And we become a little more stuck. And usually, it's at this point where we finally realize we can't do it on our own. 
I'm going to push you off the stage. You want me to push you off the stage? This is what we realize. We realize that we really can't move. We can't keep making it on our own. And that's when we realize we have to have God's help. We have to have other people come into our lives and help us because we can't undo ourselves. So, okay, I'm going to undo you now. I'm going to undo you. And so we need other people to help get us unstuck. We need God to act on our behalf. Give, give, give Lucas a round of applause. Captain America. Captain America, a round of applause. So often, that's what it takes. But we don't have to wait till we get to that place where we, we simply can't go anymore on our own. God wants you to know today that you need him in your life and you need other people in your life. And a few weeks ago when we were talking about Paul, we talked about conversion and how conversion in the Christian life is not just a one-time thing. It is conversion, converting from an old way of life of sin to a new way of life in Jesus Christ. That is a one-time conversion we're called to experience, but it's also an ongoing thing where we continue to let go of old patterns, of old habits, and self-sufficiency, this idea that we can do things on our own, it's one of the hardest things for us to shed in our culture today because we celebrate people who make it on their own and try really hard. But the fact of the matter is, is that God created us for relationships. God created us for a relationship with Him and God created us for a relationship with other people. And one of my pastor friends, he loves to say this. He loves to say that you can be spiritual or religious without other people, but you cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ without other people. Because here is the bottom line. When we decide to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're making a personal decision to join a communal way of life. I'm going to say that again. When we decide to become a disciple of Jesus, we're making a personal decision to join a communal way of life. And you're going to hear me say this again and again here in the years to come because this is so important for us as a church. From the very beginning, God has been drawing people together. When God created Adam, what did he say? It's not good for man to be alone. And so he created Eve. When God wanted to save the world from sin, when God wanted to redeem the world, he didn't just call Abraham. He formed a covenant people called the nation of Israel. When Jesus came to this world, he gathered the disciples, and the disciples helped start God's new covenant community, the church, which we continue to be a part of today. It's God's plan from the very beginning to gather people together for his purposes in the world. And one of my favorite books of the Bible, the book of Acts, tells the story of the early church. And early on in the book of Acts, around the day of Pentecost, we see amazing things happening in the church. And Peter, one of these early disciples, he says this when he's preaching to a large group of non-Christians at the time. He, he tells them, look, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one God has sent into the world to rescue his people. Jesus lived he died, but he didn't just die. He rose again, and now he wants to be Lord of your life. That is, he wants to be the leader of your life. And the people, after hearing this message, they said, well, what do we do? How do we respond to that? And Peter says this to them. He says, repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that day when he told them how to respond, 3,000 people joined the church in that one day. Can you imagine if next week a hundred new people came and joined our church? Would that be cool? Can you imagine if 500 people did that? We'd be sitting on the floor. Can you imagine if a thousand people did that? 3,000 people on this day professed faith in Jesus Christ and became part of the church. These people, though, they they didn't just believe in Jesus and go back to their everyday life. They became part of the community. When they were born again, they were born again into a new family. And we begin to see amazing things happen through them. And the scripture passage I want us to focus on today is from Acts chapter 2. And it's where we read about the life of this community together. The life of the early church and the activities that they took part in. And this is what we find in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. They, that is, the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love that image. And I want to be a part of a church where people are are seeing signs and wonders, where, where people on the outside are so attracted to the community because it's so beautiful that they want to be a part of it. I want to be part of a church that has that kind of unity, that experiences the goodwill of all people. Do you want that kind of church? If you do, say amen. Amen. And that kind of church, we discover, is formed by a set of practices. Those things that they experienced, new people coming in, the all, the miracles, it happened because they were doing four key activities together. And these four key activities are outlined in verse 42. And so we have that verse for you. And if you want to circle these things on your worship sheet, I'd love for you to do that. Because we see a summary of these things. And the first thing we see is that the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And what that means is that they began to learn who Jesus was and who he was calling them to be in the world. They didn't just make up their faith and believe whatever they wanted to believe. No, they met with people who had walked with Jesus who knew him before he died and knew him after he rose again. They they studied the Old Testament scriptures and how Jesus was the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. They learned with their minds who they were to be, but they didn't just learn it with their minds. They began to live it out as they devoted themselves to these teachings, but they didn't stop there. They also devoted themselves to fellowship. And this isn't, you know, sometimes we think of fellowship as just, you know, hey, say hey to everybody. They didn't have that kind of superficial level of fellowship. They had deep fellowship where they knew each other. 
where they opened up their hearts and their lives to each other, where they, they opened up their pocketbooks to each other, we discover, actually, too. It says that they had everything in common. And that when someone had a need, that they went and sold property or sold possessions so that they could help one another out. And now, I'll be honest, for a lot of us, this is where we get nervous, right? We think, yeah, I love, I love the church. I love studying the Bible. I love potluck dinners and eating barbecue with people. But sharing possessions, having everything in common, that kind of sounds like communism. I don't know if I want any of that. But here, this isn't some kind of form of communism. This isn't something that was mandated or something that was obligated from above. This was people whose hearts had been transformed by God sharing with one another because they were valuing people over their own possessions. These were people who knew at a deep level about the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ, and so they were willing to make sacrifices for other people in the community. And it was a beautiful thing as nobody was in need. And then we read that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. In their culture, the breaking of bread, sharing in meals together, was a sign of unity. It was a sign of deep fellowship that old barriers had been broken down. And so these Jews from all over the world shared in meals together. And later we see that Gentiles would join them. And before, a lot of times, Jews and Gentiles, they didn't eat together. But in the new church, in this new community with God, the old walls had been torn down. And people had deep unity as they broke bread. And later, as the church shared in the sacrament of Holy Communion together. And then finally, we see that they devoted themselves to prayer. Like we talked about last week, they devoted themselves to giving praise to God, to giving thanksgiving to God, to to asking God to do miracles in their midst. They, They confessed their sins to God. And they received forgiveness as a community. They devoted themselves to these four things. And these four things, they aren't, they aren't just arbitrary. These four activities are foundational to any countercultural community of discipleship. These four things are crucial to the life of a church because it's through these activities of a community that God helps achieve His purpose for community. And that purpose is transformation. Through community with other people, by being connected with other people, God wants to not only transform our lives, but God wants to transform the entire world. And so if you feel like you've been stuck in your relationship with God lately, it might be because while you've decided personally to follow Jesus Christ, you really haven't joined together with other people. And there's no better time to start than this fall as we're kicking off new Bible studies and new activities to to get connected and to start growing. And if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus and, and you're still kind of exploring, there's no better place to explore who Jesus is than in a community where you can ask questions and where we can walk alongside of you. Because it's there when we're gathered with other people that God transforms us. God helps move us forward. I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in the life of so many other people. And here at this church, 
we live out these four activities really in two key arenas in our life together. And the first arena is in worship. In weekly worship, right here, right now, which we do every Sunday. We gather together every Sunday morning on the Lord's Day, the day of the resurrection, to praise God, to give Him the worth that He is due. And worship, when it's done at its best, turns us away from ourselves and it turns us towards God. And it's in worship where we hear apostolic teaching. We hear the words of Christ. We, we read the scriptures. We hear them proclaimed to us through the sermon. We hear them proclaimed to us through the songs. We learn. It's here in worship where we respond to God by praying to Him, by giving Him thanks. Where we respond to God by, by giving by pooling our resources together. It's here where we so often get to break bread together. Sometimes in a, a meal like a barbecue or a cookout today, sometimes as we share in the sacrament of Holy Communion. It's here in this place where we get to do those things, and it's so, so important. But even though we come to worship, sometimes we get it backwards. Sometimes, really, instead of worship turning us away from ourselves and towards God, sometimes we simply make worship about ourselves once again. Soren Kierkegaard, he's a Danish theologian, he says it this way. He says that a lot of times in worship, we view the people up here on the platform like myself and Oscar and the worship team, we view them as the performers we view God as kind of the director that's off in the sky, help coordinating things. And we view ourselves in the seats as the audience. And when we view worship like this, we ask questions like, did I get anything out of worship today? Am I being fed? Did I like the music? How is the temperature? When we view ourselves as the audience, we tend to make it about us. But Kierkegaard, he says, actually, we need to turn that upside down because that's not how worship was created. Worship was created to turn us away from ourselves. And so he says, really what's happening is the people on stage helping lead worship, those are the people who are helping direct things. He says the people in the seats are the performers, the ones who are the active participants, and God is the audience. And so really it's about God, and when we think of it that way, the questions we ask in worship are a little different. We start asking questions like, through our worship today, was God honored and praised? Through our worship, did we celebrate God the Father? Did we proclaim the work of Jesus Christ the Son? Did we give thanks and experience the Holy Spirit? Our questions become about God. Our focus becomes on God instead of on us because we are the people giving praise to God. And really today, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, right? Because you're here in worship. You, you're doing this, right? You're committing to worship. You're making it a priority. And, and I love that. And so what I want you to do right now is I want you to turn to the person next to you, give them a high five and say, good job. Good job. You're here. You're making it a priority. And in this next season... I want to challenge you to continue to make it a priority, to continue to show up and be present. 
because it's so important. It, God created us to worship Him, and it's here where we get to do that together. And I know there's a lot of sports, there's a lot of school activities. Nowadays, there's so much going on on Sundays. But I want to challenge you to make worship a priority in this next season. Because something really amazing happens when we come here and worship and we turn away from ourselves and we focus on God. God, in a miraculous way, begins to transform us. He begins to draw us to Himself. And it's a beautiful thing. And so that's one key arena where we live out these activities. But another key arena is through the small groups that we have here. Groups like our connect groups. Groups like our Bible studies. Groups like purposefully plugged in on Wednesday night. And we don't just do this for adults. This is a value that's throughout our whole ministries. Our kids, they meet in small groups. Our students, they meet at tables, they discuss with other people. Because the reality is, is that these activities, while we can do them at some level as a worshiping body, to have the kind of deep fellowship, to have the kind of specific prayer for one another, we have to gather together in smaller groups. And I got to be with one of the connect groups last night, and it was a beautiful thing as people were sharing and laughing, and there was such joy. And one of the things I've heard as I've been meeting with groups in the church is that our church, that we want to grow. We want to reach new people for Jesus Christ. And I share in that dream. But one of the things I've also been hearing is that this church prides itself on the welcoming community that it has, on the joy, on the realness, on the hospitality, on the love that people feel in this room. But here's the challenge. As we grow larger, in order to continue to have that sense of welcome and that sense of community, we also have to grow smaller. We have to continue to increase our number of Bible studies. We have to increase the number of connect groups. We have to meet people where they are and help them get connected in Christian community at a smaller level because it's there where we can truly be known and it's there where we can truly know other people. In these smaller gatherings, we're able to connect relationally and grow spiritually as we hear about one another's weeks and the challenges we're facing and the blessings we're facing. It's here in these groups where we get to share meals on a regular basis and laugh together. It's in these groups where we get to support one another through prayer and by sharing resources when we know what's going on in other people's lives. And so in the, in the weeks and the months ahead, we're going to be striving to start more groups. Soon we're going to let you know about the connect groups we have and how you can get connected, and we're going to be starting at least one new one. But I want to challenge you, during this new season, during the fall, if you want to continue to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ, get connected. Get connected somehow with other Christians because that's who God created us to be. And I know that it can be hard. I know that it can be hard to, to step into to something new and to, to risk opening up your life. Because if you're like me, you have questions like, well, if I really open up, will people accept me? Will people just run from me and, and my experiences? And I know that while this passage from Acts 2 and, and the scene we read, it, you know, it sounds beautiful and we can kind of romanticize it. I know that 
while it might read that way, the early church was pretty messy. When we keep reading throughout the book of Acts and when we read the other New Testament letters, we find that there was a lot of challenges in Christian community. And there could be a lot of challenges in the church today and in our small groups. People are messy and community is messy, but I do know this as well. That the lows of life are better when we have other people by our side. And the highs of life are higher and more joyous when we have other people celebrating alongside of us. I know that God uses community, even the challenges of community, to help grow us and move us to become the people He wants us to be. I know it because I've lived it. And I want to close with this story. Frederick Beekner, who's an author and a pastor, in one of his books says that one day he was at the Mayflower Hotel in Washington, D.C. He was there in the hotel and there was this grand elevator and he was standing in front of the elevator and the double doors open and standing before him was a man who helped transform the world and a man who'd experienced many challenges in his life. Standing there in the Mayflower Hotel, the doors open, and Beekner saw Franklin Delano Roosevelt standing tall in the middle of the elevator. But on either side of him, he was flanked by two people. And Beekner says that I saw that these men had their arms around FDR, and they were helping hold him up. And he says, if those men wouldn't have been there, FDR would have crumbled to the ground. He would have crumbled to the ground because at age 39, he contracted a paralytic illness. And he couldn't stand on his own. There in the Mayflower Hotel, Beekner saw the most powerful man in that hotel and arguably one of the most powerful men in the world at the time. And he saw that he would have been helpless if he didn't have other people help him. And he writes this. He says, What I learned for the first time from that glimpse of him in the elevator is that even the mightiest among us can't stand on our own. Unless we have someone to hold us, our flimsy legs will buckle. And it's the same way with each of us. On our own, we can't do it. But thanks be to God, God is always standing there by our sides, seeking to help hold us up and to move us forward in life. And God, in His own mysterious way, instead of choosing to just do it Himself, has chosen to work through other people. And he's chosen our lives to be formed in such a way that he wants other people by our side as well. He wants other people to hold us up. 
And so my hope and my prayer in this next season ahead as we're seeking to move forward as a church, as you're seeking to move forward in your relationship with God, is that you would allow other people to walk beside you and to help you move into the future. Let us pray. God, we've gathered as your people today. And as if we gathered, we've acknowledged that we weren't created to do life on our own. We were created for a relationship with you. But we've gathered with other people. And we also admit that we know that we were created for a relationship with other people. And we thank you. We thank you for Harvest Point. And God, we pray that you would send people into our lives if we don't yet have them to help us move forward in our faith. God, we pray that you would help us open up and be real with one another about the struggles going on in our lives so that other people can support us. And we pray that you would help us to be real about the great things going on in our lives so that other people can celebrate with us. God, in this room right now, our friendships and life-changing relationships that have yet to occur. And we thank you in advance for how you're going to use them, for your good in our lives and for your glory in this world. Amen. we grow closer with our relationship with you. Allow us to let go and just open up our minds and our hearts and our whole body to envelop your Holy Spirit. And we give it all to you. Rejoice, all the earth rejoice. 
He wraps himself in light.